Journalists are often told off by their editors for using the word unprecedented. But there really are few other broadcastable words we can use to describe the last few months in British politics. Britain has seen two monarchs and three prime ministers in the space of just two months. So how did this all happen? And who is the man now in charge of the United Kingdom? This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm your host, Gully Burrows. And this week we're asking, can Rishi Sunak restore the public's trust in government and pull the Conservative Party together? If a TV writer's room pitched anything like the events of the last few months, they probably would have been told by the network to dial back the drama and make the storyline more believable. It all started when Boris Johnson resigned in July after a plethora of scandals and he eventually left office in September. Then came Liz Truss. She beat former Chancellor Rishi Sunak to the post. However, she became the shortest serving Prime Minister in British history lasting only seven weeks, ten days of which were the morning after the death of Queen Elizabeth II. She resigned on October the 21st after her first big policy push, a mini-budget proposing £45 billion of unfunded tax cuts for the rich, spooked the markets, pitching the UK into economic uncertainty. In Liz Truss's final days, there was a vote in the British Parliament on fracking. The event descended into chaos with accusations flying around of Tory MPs bullying other Tory MPs to vote in a certain way. If we want to stand up against bullying in this House of our staff, we have to stop bullying in this chamber as well. The spectacle was the final nail in the coffin of Liz Truss's premiership. Here is what Tory MP Sir Charles Walker had to say about that night. This is an absolute disgrace as a Tory MP of 17 years who's never been a minister, who's got on with it loyally most of the time. I think it's a shambles and a disgrace. I think it is utterly appalling. I'm livid. The Conservative Party needed a new leader and fast. Here's the National Security and Policy Editor, Thomas Harding, who has spent a fair few hours in the cold outside 10 Downing Street watching Prime Ministers come and go. People outside of politics, the Conservative Party, will be slightly scratching their heads. Uh, Every party in Britain has a different way of electing its leader. On this occasion, the Conservatives, because they knew they had to get a new boss in very quickly, slightly tweaked the rules. So in order to be nominated for being elected leader, to go forward in the election, you needed 100 MPs, there's 357 Conservative MPs in Parliament, so you need at least 100. Boris Johnson got 102, we're told, but given his unpopularity, even amongst his own ranks, uh, it was considered too toxic for him to return, so he withdrew on Sunday. And Penny Mordaunt, who performed very well in the, uh, as leader of the House of Commons in his trust's premiership, very highly regarded, but she could not quite get uh, the 100 votes. So around the 90s, we believe she got, uh, with Boris Johnson potentially stealing a lot of her thunder and momentum. So Rishi Sunak, we think, got at least 200 nominations. And um, on Monday, I was there to see him sort of made leader of the party and subsequently prime minister um, because no one else stood against him. So uncontested election, a coronation, which is what they 
what, what a lot of people wanted to get this done very quickly without a sort of a long drawn out membership vote. Well, it wasn't going to be that long. It's only going to be on Friday, but and then voted online. But yeah, he's in post now. The quicker, the better, really. So I think that's best all round. Professor Tony Travers, the director of LSE London, a research centre at the London School of Economics and Political Science, says the word unprecedented isn't far off the mark for what has occurred over the last few weeks. You know, the United Kingdom has a long evolved political system and a prime minister, the office of prime minister, goes back to the early 18th century. I think there there were certainly times in the 18th and 19th centuries when politics was quite messy. You'd get prime ministers not surviving for very long. But that was in a sort of pre-modern time before political parties and the discipline that they bring to politics had really in their in their modern form being created. So if we look at what's happened in the UK in the last uh, 55 or 60 days, the, the end of Boris Johnson, the arrival and then um, departure of Liz Truss and then the arrival of Rishi Sunak as prime minister, in modern times, there have been crises in Britain, but not ones quite to lead to this sort of political outcome. So it is pretty unusual, certainly by the standards of post-1945 Britain. You might be asking how one political party can keep naming prime ministers who just keep resigning. Surely the UK just needs to have another general election to lay the issue to rest. You wouldn't be alone in that sentiment. One of the country's largest left-leaning newspapers, The Independent, joined opposition leader Keir Starmer's call for a general election, saying it wasn't fair on the public to have successive prime ministers without having an election. A petition demanding a general election has reached 450,000 signatures from the British public. But as is often the way in politics, the devil is in the detail. The UK's political system means voters elect local members of parliament, or MPs. Whichever party has the most MPs elected can then form a government. The Prime Minister is what is called first among equals, most often chosen by party members, but in Rishi Sunak's case, only by his party's MPs. This person can change between elections without the say-so of the British public. The next election in the United Kingdom must be no later than January 2025. The Conservatives are widely viewed as reluctant to call an early election as they are behind in the polls against their main rivals, the Labour Party. I think most Conservative MPs don't want a general election because they realise that on the current polls, about 200 or 250 of the 350 of them would lose their seats. So, uh, you know, I don't think they're going to be voting for that if they can avoid it, or at least and until the polls improve. Now to the man who predicted how Liz Truss's policies would play out and warned against it, Rishi Sunak, the new British Prime Minister. There are a few details that set him apart from the other privately educated Oxford University graduates who have served as Prime Minister. At 42, he's the youngest Prime Minister in over 200 years and the first Asian and first Hindu in the office. Born in 1980 in the city of Southampton, his father was a GP and his mother ran a pharmacy. Educated at Winchester College, then on to Oxford to study philosophy, politics and economics. He then completed an MBA at the prestigious California University Stanford. 
He went on to work at Goldman Sachs and became a partner in two hedge funds before entering parliament in 2015. He's had a meteoric rise. Rishi Sunak is quite an unusual politician. I mean, the first thing to note, and though this wasn't discussed much during the first and then the second leadership contests, but you can't ignore it, he's a Briton of Asian descent. He come, his family originally come from India, the Hindus from India, though they actually uh, went to Africa and then migrated from Africa to Britain. Rishi Sinak himself was born in the UK and has had a life, which I think is, you know, a lot of migrants who come to Britain, particularly from South Asia, but not only from there, do do relatively well when they get to the UK. It's not to say there aren't challenges for new migrants, as there are in all countries, but many South Asians have done really rather well in the UK. And his story happens to be a particularly stellar one of that kind. So, Uh, You're right. He's not massively known, I think, outside politics or wasn't. He'd been Chancellor of the Exchequer under Boris Johnson. That gave him a significant degree of prominence. Uh, But he's never been a sort of politician to push his own personality. He's more traditional, more mainstream. He's a moderate conservative who I think on balance believes in a smaller state with low taxes. They may have to do exactly the opposite uh, in the coming years. And He's sort of socially moderate politically as well. So he's a sort of classic centrist conservative who definitely believes in solid adult looking government. I mean, serious looking government, which is more than can be said for his two predecessors, whatever they intended. Sunak supported leaving the European Union in the 2016 Brexit referendum. He later became chief secretary to the Treasury and saw the UK through the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic as chancellor. He's not everyone's favourite, and nor has he escaped the scrutiny of the British public and media. Sunak was caught up in the Partygate scandal, receiving a fine along with his former boss, Boris Johnson, for attending a gathering to mark the Prime Minister's 56th birthday. He said he was only in number 10 to attend a meeting. He was also the first to resign from Johnson's cabinet, precipitating his downfall. Sunak and his wife, Akshatamurti, are said to be worth more than King Charles III, with an approximated £730 million net worth. The ethics of Murti's tax arrangements have also been called into question, thanks to her non-dom status. In April, Murti said she would pay UK tax on all her worldwide income. However, Thomas Harding says that doesn't mean the public won't hold it against him as Prime Minister. He shows to people, the wider public, that that Britain is still an aspirational place where it's a degree of meritocracy, where if you work hard, um, you can succeed. And that's demonstrated by his parents' success, putting him through private education and Rishi Sunak then getting, making his wealth through from private wealth management, hedge funds. So it's not it's not inherited wealth of which there is quite lots, um, but it could count against him. I mean, you know, the Labour could say you're richer than King Charles, and how again, as I said earlier, how, how will you understand poverty and, and cuts if you have got so much money yourself? But I, I'm not in so sure that it will be such a big deal. I, I think you know it's, it's a British meritocracy. The fact that the British Asian has got to the top of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, so I don't think particularly people will hold that against him so long as he does not get caught out for spending lavish amounts on himself. So 
um, I think I think everyone's grown up to recognise that that should not be a, a big issue. Opposition Labour leader Keir Starmer had this to say the first time Sunak appeared in Parliament as Prime Minister. That's why the only time he ran in a competitive election, he got trounced by the former Prime Minister, who herself got beaten by a lettuce. <laughs> Vegetables aside, Sunak needs to act fast to make an impact and restore the faith of markets in the British economy. So what's on his to-do list? Well, let the man tell you himself. Here he is during his first speech in Parliament as leader. I will place economic stability and confidence at the heart of this government's agenda. This will mean difficult decisions to come. But you saw me during COVID doing everything I could to protect people and businesses with schemes like furlough. There are always limits, more so now than ever. But I promise you this, I will bring that same compassion to the challenges we face today. The government I lead will not leave the next generation, your children and grandchildren, with a debt to settle that we were too weak to pay ourselves. I will unite our country, not with words, but with action. I will work day in and day out to deliver for you. This government will have integrity, professionalism and accountability at every level. Trust is earned and I will earn yours. By any measure, Rishi Sunak has a difficult road ahead. Well, the United Kingdom, in common with many countries around the world, um, faces all the costs of the COVID pandemic, uh, which are profound in, in Britain because of the amount of borrowing that was required, and actually not just borrowing, but some uh, quantitative easing, printing of money besides. There are, and of course, the UK left the European Union. There's been an economic consequence of that, much disputed, but clearly there has been one. Um, and then, of course, more recently, the Russian war in Ukraine, which has pushed up energy prices. Uh, these profoundly impact on the UK, even though the UK itself produces a fair amount of energy, but it's stuck in a global market. Add all of this together, and what Rishi Sunak now has to do is to balance the books, i.e. to get public spending down somewhat, tax yield up somewhat to reduce annual borrowing and therefore to reduce the growth of national debt. Sounds easy, very hard, very hard to cut public spending, quite hard to put up taxes, especially given his party favours living in a small tax, small state type country. And here is Thomas Harding on the challenges ahead for Sunak. The key thing is, is you've got to fix the economy. Britain's got a, a £30 billion black hole in its budget. And whether they make that up through cutting in public spending or finding taxation through other means, um, that's the key thing for him is, is to stabilise. We need a period of stability in Britain, but you know, particularly with rising energy costs as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that's sort of been dealt with and gas might drop in price a bit more. So that might give him a bit of breathing space. And he's, he's also, he stops fracking. He's just announced today that there won't be fracking in, in, uh, for shale gas in the UK, which was controversial. 
but they'll just have to find en- energy from from other means. But really, he's going to have to hope for a, a relatively mild winter, so that you know people don't have to use a huge amount of energy to and rack up their bills. As Sunak himself said, closer to home, he has to start rebuilding trust. But Tony says he isn't the only one. There's definitely a trust issue in many countries around the world. Edelman, the international public relations and government relations company, produces a monitor each year in January normally. And this shows that in a number of countries in Europe, particularly, though not only in Europe, trust in government and politics has fallen. Trust in liberal democracy is much debated. Having said that, it's the only system anybody in Britain knows. So they may not trust politicians. They they generally, interestingly, they don't dislike politicians as a group, but they actually quite like their own MP, Member of Parliament, locally. They like councillors locally more than national politicians. So trust varies quite a lot. But against that backdrop, as I say, it is the only system people know. So I think Rishi Sunak has realised, and the opposition Labour Party are in a similar position, that one of the things they have to do, in addition to winning elections, is to rebuild trust with the electorate. So far, Sunak is polling better than his predecessor. The first YouGov poll after his victory found 38% of people were pleased or very pleased with his premiership. Compared that, to just 22% for Liz Truss when she was in the same position. Among Conservative voters, he gained a 52% approval rating. But it's not just the country he needs to try and hold together, but his party too. So the Conservative Party is a coalition of people on the right of the party who often believe in lower taxes, a smaller state. Some of them want lots of trade. Some of them want to be more protectionist. And then you've got a centrist group in the Conservative Party, the so-called One Nation group, who are much more traditional, believe in slow progress, accepting some of the social changes that Labour or society introduce. And you've got other groups besides, but the difficulty with the Conservatives is they've become factional recently, with factions happy to effectively conduct a civil war within the party, rather than think about fighting the opposition Labour Party. And that, of course, has allowed the opposition Labour Party to prosper mightily in the opinion polls. Is Sunak the man to pull everyone together? Thomas reckons he's got the highest chance of anyone else who was running to lead the party. And his cabinet picks show he is trying to keep the loyalty of many factions. Yeah, possibly more than anyone else. I think Penny Morden probably would have done a good job, but Rishi Sunak, he's also he's already demonstrated by his cabinet appointments. He's he's brought in his own loyalists, he's got Boris Johnson loyalists, he's got Liz Truss loyalists, and he's got moderates from the party, from the One Nation Tories. So he's done a fairly good job already of having a united cabinet that covers all all spectrum, all the tribes of the Conservative Party. And they all know that this is, they're on the last sort of, last warning, if you, if you want to call it that way. You know, as he said in his speech to MPs, it's unite or die. And they know if they lose another prime minister as a result of inter-party warfare, then they'll be out of office very, very quickly and there will have to be a general election and they will get beaten by the Labour Party almost certainly. Unite or die indeed. An early general election is likely to hinge on his success or lack of it. But there are other electoral challenges coming down the road. Intriguingly, there will be quite a large set of local elections in May next year in the UK. 
Uh, and that will begin to tell us whether Rishi Sunak is beginning to win back some of the lost support that the Conservatives are now uh, suffering from. So I doubt there'll be a general election before 2024, which is the most likely date. The only thing that could upset that would be if Rishi Sunak got into trouble and some of the factions in his own party became difficult and somehow eventually got to the point where they were undermining his government. But it's too early. He's in the sort of honeymoon period at the moment, um, uh, or by the standards of the modern Conservative Party, a honeymoon period. Um, but, you know, as he has a, a budget of some kind on the 17th of November, or he and his Chancellor, the Finance Minister, the Chancellor of the Exchequer do, I think thereafter we'll see how easily he can uh, manage the different factions of his own party. Many feel the last two British Prime Ministers have left in somewhat embarrassing circumstances. Boris Johnson resigned in the wake of two scandals, Partygate and sex scandals involving four of his Tory MPs. Liz Truss resigned after the markets reacted badly to her mini-budget and the pound hit a 37-year low against the dollar. The question now regarding Sunak's premiership is will he bring some sort of stability to the UK and the Conservative Party and see them into the next general election? Or will his time in office end in similar circumstances to his predecessors? This was Beyond the Headlines. I'm Gully Burrows. Thanks this week to The National's Thomas Harding and Professor Tony Travers, both in London. This episode was produced by Taylor Heyman, Arthur Edison and Tom Smith. If you like the episode, and want to get each one as soon as it comes out each week, hit subscribe in your podcast app. Whilst you're there, why not leave us a review? It really helps. <laughs>